0: Educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 104 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact today we're speaking with luke terry luke terry is the founder of several large-scale employment focused social enterprise projects including vanguard laundry services ability enterprises and work restart and is currently the qt resident social entrepreneur luke has a founding belief that all business can be used as a tool for social good and community transformation So in today's podcast, we'll discuss Luke's views on the current state of the social enterprise sector in Australia. We'll get Luke's insights and perspective on social innovation opportunities. And we'll hear what Luke believes can be done by governments and social entrepreneurs to create stronger opportunities for positive social change. Luke, thanks very much for coming along. Hi Tom, thanks for the intro. So to kick things off Luke, can you please share a little bit about your background and what led you into working in this social enterprise sector? So for me,
1: I grew up in a quite conservative family in Western Sydney and I I remember going to my careers advisor, I was sort of doing a little bit stuff, a little bit social and a little bit business, I was a kid at school, I was doing lots of business plans and also trying to volunteer and help out where I can at the same time and I remember going to my careers advisor and saying I want to do something a bit business and a bit social so this is like mid-ish. 90s you know 1996 and I remember and the careers advisor said bit business bit social got it. funeral director <laughs> and I'm a bit like nah this isn't this isn't the thing for me so I left school I studied business and marketing I remember growing up we were in a sort of community house where for, for a bunch of reasons people would often turn up at our house for for food and especially when me and my sister was a was really young and I remember people banging on the on the door and um, they'd asked for money for whatever reasons. It was a church manse, so they sort of, you know, thought that there might be opportunity to get some get some cash and Mum would say, I don't have any money, but I can give you food and and we weren't we weren't extremely well off and I remember Mum would always go back to the pantry and she would always bring something back and sometimes people would be at the door but sometimes they weren't. And I think for me, seeing my mum give away all that food over the years and going shopping with my mum and always making sure, you know, she'd say sometimes, oh, I've got to make sure we've got enough food in the fridge in case someone turns up or food in the pantry, yeah. some tins of food. And I think for me, is the pantry never refilled itself and it sort of frustrated me a bit. It's a bit like, well, who's going to keep paying for this? Mm. You know, I was the teenager but wanted everything. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but but I think moving on is it's like, you know, and, and doing the volunteering and doing and seeing the difference that if we could do both. I remember I left school, studied business marketing, did a lot of entrepreneurship, bought and sold different businesses. Some worked, some didn't. And was volunteering at a place called Wayside Chapel, which many of your listeners will know in Sydney. Worked with another charity in the cross called Hope Street and set up with my younger sister, Rachel, a social enterprise in the Glebe Housing Estate around creating opportunities, it was just a cafe, it was creating opportunities for people to buy coffee, but also be able to get trained up as baristas. You know, everyone yeah. knows that old school cafe model. I hate social enterprise cafes these days, we can get to that later. Uh, apologies to those food entrepreneurs out there. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and we, we got lots of opportunities for people to be able to go and transition to other jobs. And then I saw the real difference that that made and the chance to be able to use that coffee market to be able to solve some complex social mm. problems. So, then I ended up in London where I got my dream job as a social entrepreneur um, funded by the European Union with a quarter of a million dollar a year budget to just go and build social enterprises as many as I possibly could that create employment pathways for people with mental illness Mm. and that was amazing. I got to have a team, I got to go and do different things and it was what we definitely don't do enough of in Australia. We, you know, in a period of four or five years... We, I think we built about eight businesses, some worked, some didn't. Yep. And I was given the opportunity to fail and the opportunity to succeed. And when we talk about what is working and isn't working, I think it's how we give people the opportunity to fail and succeed. Mm. And I was given the opportunity to have some social enterprises that just really didn't work and some that did yep. work and the opportunity to get the mentorship around me to just give it a go. And I think that's a large reason as to why social enterprises are so successful in the UK at the moment is because people had the opportunity to, to succeed. Anyway, come back to Australia, got a job, no, no social business jobs, come back to Australia in 2009, especially in Queensland, we're fixing that now. Mm. But um, I got a job running a mental health charity, obviously wanting to, you know, employment is a really big thing. Yep. And a lot of people we worked with just said that they want to get back to work. The government spends billions of dollars each year trying to get people back to work, but their their success rate is getting 3% of our population back to work. When they do get someone a job, the success rate is 29% through to 52 weeks. Oh, I knew in my heart from my time in the UK that social enterprise can make a real difference. Mm. Actually, you know, statistically, an 85% success rate for people in social enterprises, is making it getting a job and making it through to 52 weeks. So amazing outcomes. Yeah. But politically, you can't just cut a ribbon on them in like 12 months. So it doesn't make sense in a three-year election cycle or a lot less in today's climate. So what's happened is I, I went out to the community and had heard this Mark Daniels from Social Traders Guide talk about social procurement. And I got it a bit wrong. And we went through this journey where we went out to the community and said, you heard about this social procurement thing. Can you give us a contract in anything and let us build a business around it? And that's how we built Ability Enterprises where we got given the contract to run the boom gates for 15 waste transfer stations, mm. which employed 50 people. And then awesome. we did the similar thing for laundry and then we got a contract for nine years to wash 10,000 kilograms of laundry each week. And now we're washing 25,000 kilos. And so that's my journey.
0: It's a really, really great journey. I think just being able to to fail and to succeed as well, it's really led you to where you are now, right? So as managing director then of Vanguard Laundry Services, it's one of Australia's celebrated social enterprises, literally washing thousands of kilos of washing every week. So what are some of the key challenges that you faced when building this social enterprise from scratch? Vanguard Laundry has
1: 72 different funding partners. It shouldn't. i often get asked a lot why we don't have large-scale projects in australia why aren't there more vanguards the pain we had to go through to get the startup capital for a project of that size was significant Mm -hmm. so we have an ecosystem that can provide hundred thousand dollar grants we have an ecosystem that can provide impact investment for you know 9 10 11 12 percent but a lot of those things won't work when you're building a $7 million laundry. So you've just got to chip away at it, yeah, $100,000 at a time, and um, you know, pro bono architect at a time and see where you end up. I think for Vanguard, the next projects will be quicker and easier because we've got some runs on the board. Mm, but yeah. the joke about Vanguard, and I think that's why some people gave us money in the early days is that like we'd never washed any laundry before, we'd never built anything that big before. I remember the day that I, um, I remember David, I went home and announced to my wife that I'm building a laundry and she said, how big is that laundry? And I said, "It's uh, we're going to wash 50 ton of laundry a week and she laughed and said, can you start there? <laughs> um, you know, it was, I'd never washed any laundry before and we had to prove to our investors and, and funders mm. that we we knew damn right how to run a laundry and yep. we were going to, and so I think part of our role as social entrepreneurs is yes, and entrepreneurs in general, is we're doing something we know nothing about. Yep. And we are going into a world where we are gonna make sure that we have every reason stacked up to prove to you that we can
0: pull this off. Mm. Part of what you've done is very clearly measuring your impact. And you released your first year impact report. And that research was done with the Center of Social Impact with Joe Barrackett and that report really clearly mapped out the impact that you guys achieved since opening 2017 so what advice and tips would you give to other social entrepreneurs when it comes to mapping and measuring their impact so firstly
1: that that research came out of you know out of a 72 f- partners it came out of about partner 14 when some of the partners that I was pitching to were saying you know, we love what you're doing and we love your enthusiasm and we think it'll be great. But there's actually no evidence base to suggest that mental health and employment are linked and that can mm-hmm. make a real difference. Yeah. And Actually, $7 million to get 50 people jobs is quite expensive. And it is. Yeah. Um, whereas my cell was people with mental illness are dying in their 50s versus the 80s for the rest of us. Um, I'm convinced that having a job and we've got some research overseas to suggest that having a job and well-being is critically linked. If we can have the laundry funder career and development center within that, if we can particularly target people with a lived experience mental illness that haven't been employed for five years or more. Mm. If we can do these things, I, I think it makes a difference on smoking rates and all that sort of stuff. And all we measure in Australia at the moment around employment impacts is do they have a job after 13 weeks and 26 weeks? We're starting to get to 52 weeks. So I remember going to Joe Barraquette and saying, from Swinburne and saying, can we measure all the other stuff? Can we measure contact with justice? Can we measure key life indicators? And some stuff has come up as irrelevant, like the it's in contact with justice actually hasn't changed with all and people with mental illness are more likely to be um, a victim of crime as opposed to Um, you know partaking in it Um, you know it depends on the sector and where they are and that sort of stuff Mm. but it's you know it's been our experience but we didn't expect to save our local hospital $200,000 and reduce mental health stays at the mental health ward Mm. so it's those sorts of things so measuring it has been critical and now we have the evidence base and it's funny because the only partner we couldn't get on board is the state government right because the state government would at that time said to us that employment is a federal issue so now we're going, hey, well, if employment's a federal issue, then why is it making such a difference in our research to housing? Why is it making a difference? What, we save your local hospital $200,000. Yeah. And so like my next dream in that is aligning that research to our customer self and saying, look, for every kilo of laundry you, you wash with us, this is the impact that you're making your community And um, you know, How can we make a difference that way?
0: Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Certainly is. It's been a really fascinating journey until now, and I think it's just going to going to continue creating more and more impact as we move forward. That's for sure. So, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull did the soft launch of Vanguard Laundry. Uh, he did
1: the real launch. We did a soft launch, and then he came back. Oh,
0: he came back as well. Yeah, there you go. I hope he's still the Prime Minister when uh, your viewers listen to this. <laughs> yeah, well, with, with the current news, we'll we'll have to wait and watch that one. But he described. Vanguard as something that the Toowoomba community should be very proud of, right? So in gathering the support, not just from the Toowoomba community, but these 72 different funding organizations that you said you had to pull together, can you shed a little bit more light on how you best approach these partnerships and what you think the keys were to successful collaborations? I mean, you you said effectively that you need to make damn sure that they thought you were the right people to, to run a laundry. But you know what are the ins and outs of that? If
1: we, if we use in sequence, so the first partner for Vanguard Laundry was the St Vincent saying, yes, we'll give you a nine year contract. The second partner was a wonderful guy called Alex Opison for Social Ventures Australia who said, if you can get that contract signed, I don't know how you will, but if you can get it signed, I'll help you find the money. And and at that time, living in Toowoomba, helped me introduce me to networks in Sydney and Melbourne and all that sort of stuff. And then the third partner was a guy that offered to give me a project manager to build this shed because we'd never built anything Mm. that big before and do due diligence on sites that we're looking at. And then... He ended up, when our land fell through, he ended up buying us this share. We were in auction because we're looking at what things are going for and he starts bidding. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, shut up, I'm buying you a block of land. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's about relationships with people. Change happens at the speed of trust. And for those people that are fundraising out there, I think the big learning for me is that you don't get money on the first meeting. You get money on meeting 18, 19, and 20. And when you go to ask for money, it's sort of almost there and ready to come to you. It's not like um, they know that you're going to ask for it. They know that you need it, and they're almost offering it to you. Mm. And and like, there's a few, you know, my my class tips are uh, like you know always. I mean, everyone's heard this: is always don't ask for money, ask for advice. It's like. Hey, like you know, any advice on where I could go for this six hundred? I've got this problem, and so I always present it as a for those people listening now going, "Oh, Flick's presenting me a problem," <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, "Look, like, help me problem solve together." I remember yeah. sitting down with, I, I, you know, my fifth partner in Vanguard Laundry was a guy that doesn't want to be named, but he runs an ASX listed company, and he, and he said to me, "I'm going to support you," and it was that early stage cash, so. We had a block of land. In principle, if we could get the diggers on site, it would be signed off to us once we get diggers on site. Mm. And then we didn't have a DA on that site, and funders wouldn't give us any money because we needed two hundred fifty thousand dollars to get the DA approval. And so it was in, it was an incredible journey because we, you know, needed money for something that might not happen. Yeah, normal entrepreneurs do this all the time, but why would you fund? So this particular ASX-listed CEO guy helps me out, and he's like. I really wanna get you some proper business coaching. And so this here walks in partner number six, it's my business coach, um, and so who who consults ASX listed companies. And he says to me, he's like, what's your biggest problem? And I'm like, I don't know, I've got this meeting with this lady and I don't know if I ask her for $20,000 or $50,000. And he says, how much do you need? And I'm like, I need $4 million. He's like, well, why don't you just ask for $4 million? And say so anything you do contribute towards that, and that and that was my game changer day as well. So each mm. partner, I think, I guess what I'm saying is different people come on at different times, and it's about the relationships you have and you call in those networks. You don't go in and just ask for money. Yeah, your the aim of the game is get people need to understand your mission and what you're getting at. And my big pivot was stopping to ask for money and just saying, I've got this opportunity. I know I'm crazy. Is there? You know what ideas do you have that could help me get to the mm. 4 million and then sometimes people will say well I've got you know XYZ in my family office money that I could contribute towards um but you end up on this 12 hour a day journey um, which we shouldn't have to do right
0: mm. but we do yeah fascinating. change in the subject to government last year we saw the Victorian government launch Australia's first social enterprise strategy and that was really about improving sector support. So looking at social enterprise from a policy perspective, what do you believe the key steps government need to take to help foster and support an innovative social sector?
1: They need to do three things. Firstly, they need to to fund the sector in in whichever way they want to do that, but they need to fund people around startups. And specifically, a traditional entrepreneur has the opportunity for a golden egg at the end. You know, they bring in equity partners and their equity part grows and they're able to go home and say to their partner, if I can do these extra few hours, I'll get the this. For a social entrepreneur, it's almost like if I can do this, I'll get extra redemption points in heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing this because you truly believe in something. Yeah. But you're also you're eating toast and that's it for a very long time. So how do you support the sector to fund projects and like i was funded in the uk back in the day how do you fund people to fail a little bit i think mm. it's really important the last time we had funding in queensland was 2010 under um, a guy called ivan Frokovic, who's now the queensland mental health commissioner and he funded a fund to fund mental health nonprofits to just go and build social enterprises you know we got social ventures australia involved to do a bit of due diligence some worked, some didn't mm. um but they were given the chance to give it a go. So I think that's a real role. How how governments buy and be bold. We haven't seen a lot of governments do bold things like give nine-year laundry contracts for someone that hasn't built a laundry before. That, you know, let's get serious. If we want to make really big difference, you know, we've are seeing we seen some cool stuff in Queensland where there's... Um, A guy called Tim Beasley, who's like a superhero, because he kept on walking to Transport Main Road's office. He had a gardening business that did stuff on the side side of a road. And he said, let me build a road. And he said that every, not every day, but every month for like two years. And one day they said, all right, you're on, build a road. And so we need bold procurers to to really do stuff. The third thing we need from government, the third role they play, is we need money that we will give back to you. But we need what I call community impact investment. Impact investment. I know I'm going to upset a lot of people, but impact investment for employment focused is employment focused social enterprise is really tricky. So for me, when I hire people at Vanguard Laundry, there's about 25% efficiency gap between the people I hire and where they need to be to get jobs in other places. Mm. And then we then build them up at Vanguard Laundry and our other social enterprises to 100 or 110%. Yep. And then we move them on to another job. We sometimes give them to our competitors. And then we start again. I remember the first time we went and offered uh, one of our staff to a competitor. They're like, are you nuts? Are you, what, are you, what are you doing? Yep. That's what we do. That's our value add. Mm. And so if I, if I've got a million-dollar wages bill at Vanguard, and I've got a 25% cap clip on my wages bill because of that consistent transition. That's $250,000 a year. I have then got to hire three people at, say, $150,000 a year. So I've then got another, the it goes to $400,000. So the only, the only toggle I've got, when I'm, a, I'm learning how to run a business that I don't know how to run, mm. the only, and innovate and be competitive and meet the market, yeah. the only toggle I've got is my finance costs. So paying impact investors, 9%, 10 11 12% ain't going to cut the mustard. It's actually going to set me broke in startup stages. So we really need governments, you know, they do these funds, you know, they've talked about giving in a mine, a 1% loan. What if we could give good businesses, businesses that are there for community impact 1% loans? Um, and sometimes we give, sometimes we've seen governments in Australia, you know, and beyond give, Sometimes the intermediaries funds and they say, "All right, you can charge your own interest rate there to be able to pay, you know, the ex banker to be able to, you know, charge their very nice salary piece in the middle." I think we should grant those organisations to be able to manage those funds so that it doesn't. Because often Mm -hmm. the cost of that intermediary management comes, it's, it's being, it's taking from the businesses' opportunity to be able to grow and develop. So we've got to remember that businesses then come along and say, "You've got competitive finance rates." But what we don't have often is old money as well a lot of these businesses are built on old money mm. and that's why i love the unis model of doing things i love the idea of you know and i love that group have done this unis business center this idea of building businesses where there are you know no dividends back to those investors where it's the finance costs are paid off and it's a modest finance cost and then it's like let's go run again yeah so for me yeah. if we can use those three principles for government we we get people that come out of prisons a job again, then that's going to make a really big difference. It's going to make our community safer. Mm. So let's invest in that because then you can build less prisons and we'll reduce your budget. We get people with mental health problems jobs, then they're staying out of a hospital and freeing up your costs around your hospital. This stuff, these businesses, can make your your state and country mm. a really kick ass place.
0: Yeah, it was fascinating to visit the the prison. A fortnight or so i go with you and, and see what's going on there and and it is it's really game-changing work it's great to see we
1: have been working with businesses in our country and our prison system that are focused on carving out a profit um, we bring them into prisons we offer them cheap labor um, people don't have a choice about it and then people leave prison and they still can't get a job and they still don't have a reference in that process so what we try to do a Burrell process is say a Burrell prison sorry not process is to try and Bring industry in, but the deal is, is that yes, you can have some affordable labour. We're still going to charge you for it to try and help the individual and set up a social enterprise fund. But when that person leaves prison, they can, they have to have a job offered to them from your sector, and so if it's building steel stud frames, it'll be linked to that. Um, and if they if they can't move back to the area where you're located because of parole reasons, then there's a reference for them, and you know it might be that they don't, you know, that the new employer might not know that they're in prison. So mm. you know. That will reduce recidivism rate to seven to
0: 10%. We know the data, we've got it yep. there. It's really exciting. So yeah. It's exciting stuff. So to finish off Luke, can you yeah. share a few books that you'd recommend to our audience? Yeah, so I love reading, when I have a
1: time. And I went through this drought when I was when the laundry was being built where I didn't read for ages and it really killed me. I just didn't have any time. time yeah. And so my, my amazing wife, Gosha, who's a, every, every good entrepreneur will have a wonderful partner and, and that for me is Gosha. And so she got me into Audible. She's like, you need to start reading again. And I started driving places and listening to books. And at the moment, I, my, my, a book I, I really loved over Christmas, even though we're far from it now, is hashtag give work, which is around how there aren't many social problems that can't be solved without jobs. And that's by the founder of Samasource, by Lillian Jana who's, like, employed 2,000 people in Africa and Mm. set up a great brand called Luxme. I'm completely in love with the book called Ice Cream Social, um, which I just finished about a month ago. I think we've been talking about that offline about... um, you know, building social suppliers into your business. Ben Jerry's is a business about making money. They're not a social enterprise, but they bought lots of social enterprises into the supply chain. Yeah. And how they it's a riveting book. Have you read it yet? Not yet. It's a riveting book. Please, everyone, all listeners, go and read go and buy and read Ice Cream Social. It is most riveting and how they sold to Unilever and the terms that they put mm-hmm. in the VAT. And then I got all like I want to take over the world with social business and I read an Elon Musk book and I just... I've been reading that since so I finished that last week and and I found it really hard so I was levelling out. I'd read a chapter of Elon and a chapter of a book. Have you heard of a Diamond Cutter? Diamond Cutter, yeah. Have you read it? Yeah. No, I haven't read it. Oh, almost read high it. five. Almost high five. <laughs> um, and so it's the idea of the Buddhist monk that went out to... Um, you know, they sent him out into the world to build a business. He's like, "What business should I should I make?" Have you had this? And and they say, "Oh, well, the oldest the oldest business is diamond cutting, and you can only cut a diamond with another diamond." So he goes and uses Buddhist principles, makes his billion dollar business diamond cutting, and it's all about just cheating people with integrity and being mm-hmm. good. And I think we can all do that, even in social enterprise. Sometimes we don't always work with integrity, and I think we we need to keep ourselves honest all the time. Like mm-hmm. I think been really interesting in Vanguard and, and other social enterprises, you know, you have sales teams go out and do stuff and you'll have a sales guy come back in and say, oh, my God, i to smash him. And I feel really uneasy. Like, that's not what we were set out to do. And yeah. so, you know, um, those sorts of tools are really, and that's, you know, very much sometimes a um, you know entrepreneurial mindset and we yeah. have to do that. But I, I don't think we do. And, and ultimately, with our competitors and we're going to rub up against them you know, how can we get to a point where we can go and have dinner with our competitors? Mm. And um, The Diamond Cutter is a really good read as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, there's been some excellent insights and experience shared today, Luke. So, thanks so much for that. Thanks, Tom. And look, I'll, we'll certainly look forward to following your journey and, and getting another episode in the future, that's for sure. Thank you. Thanks Cheers. to you, Greg.